You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentaries Global Rankings. Hi there, welcome to the show. It is Friday the 1st of October, and it certainly felt like October in TW11 first thing this morning. It was absolutely lashing down. It's dried up a bit now, but there is a lot of rain forecast for Paris over the weekend. Depending on which forecast you look at, anywhere between 12 and 30 millimetres of rain Saturday night into Sunday, the lower end of that, and it's going to be soft ground, the upper end of it, and it could be something resembling the very, very testing conditions we experienced in Paris last year, particularly after a day of racing on Saturday. Looking to the arc, later in the programme I'll be speaking to Christian Demuro, who won the race last year on Sotsas. This time he rides again for Jean-Claude Rouget in the Shadwell Silks uh, Rabia. And I'll also be talking to Richard Hannon, who has the first runner ever saddled by a member of the Hannon family in the Prix de l'Arc de Triomphe, the St. Ledger runner-up, Mojo Star, who oughtn't to be inconvenienced by any softening of the ground and will come from stall one. Later in this edition, James Willoughby gives his appraisal of the arc and he describes it in thoroughbred racing commentary rankings terms as the deepest and most competitive race in 10 years and find out why a little bit later in the program and what effect this year's race might have on the rankings and concluding our behind the scenes look at the yearling sales prep at watership down stud I'll be talking to Polly Bonner, the Saracen nutritionist responsible for feeding the horses at Watership Down and Kiltynan. It's absolutely fascinating, just the detail she goes into to get these horses ready for their big day next week. But it's going to rain in Paris as I welcome Lydia Hislop to the show. Lydia, plenty of it by the looks of it. To what effect do you think for this year's arc? Uh, well, first of all, that's a, a real shame. I mean, nobody wants uh, a huge amount of rain uh, immediately before a major race meeting because it, it just changes the circumstances entirely. And, you know, I, ideally you wouldn't want an, an extreme like that. But, you know, horse racing is, takes, takes place on all different circumstances and it is part of the ability of the horse to be able to show uh, what they can do, their capability in a variety of different circumstances and ground is one of those. So looking at this year's um, field, you would think that it would probably be a disadvantage for Chronogenesis. I know that Asheen Murphy, who escaped a really nasty incident at, at Salisbury yesterday when the horse, the, the two-year-old who was getting on having his first ever race, bolted, charged across the paddock and uh, forcibly ejected Asheen into some, some railings. And he was very lucky to escape with just a, a, a cut lip um, and stitches and he's back riding at, at Ascot today or he said that he was he, he would be um, anyway he'd been over to uh, France to uh, to ride out uh, Chronogenesis to get to know her um, and he felt that at the ground as it stood where she was working in Chantilly was was okay for her but this is going to be a whole different ball game and that's got to be a question mark slash negative for her and it's got to be a negative you would think for for love uh, um, I don't think it's a it's a given that uh, I know Snowfall managed to, to dash through the oaks when, when there'd been a, a lot of heavy rain. But again, this will be a degree further. So I don't think it's an absolute given that it will be a, a positive for her. Whereas there are some that I think it will be an, an ally positive for. And I think one of those is Alanka. And the more I look at Alanka's form, 
the more I feel that he is wrapped up with um, the horses at the top of the market who are um, a fraction of his price. Yeah, I mean, the most obvious one being Adair, uh, who he beat earlier in the season, though that would be a slightly reductive way of looking at their respective chances, wouldn't it? I think so. I mean, it's, it, that was, in inverted commas, early season form uh, in that um, Adiar showed a huge amount of promise for a mile and a half that day. That said, since then, we've learned that Alenka is at his best at a mile and a half. Um, we've also learned that he handles deep ground. He did that at, at Royal Ascot. He wasn't well positioned behind Hurricane Lane in the Grand Prix de Paris. They are much closer together than that, than the, um, the disparity between them in that race suggests. And last time out, and this is where I think we learned that very much he, he is better at a mile and a half. He finished behind Mishriff in the international stakes, looking like he was going to be well beaten at one stage and then sticking to his task and finishing second. So the ground is going to be a positive for him. The step up in trip is a positive for him. He is just too big in the betting. Well, 12 months ago, this race went to Sotsas, who was a first arc winner for prolific French winning trainer Jean-Claude Rouget and also for his stable rider Christian Demuro, who chose Sotsas last year over the fifth-placed filly Rabia. Now, Rabia gets her chance this year. There's been more jockey merry-go-round because Demuro was supposed to ride the Japanese horse Deep Bond, but Rouget wants him to ride Rabia, so Rabia it is for him. Uh, Tom Stanley talked to Christian earlier in the week and began by asking how much he was looking forward to getting back on her. Yeah, I'm uh, very happy because uh, last time she made a good race, so uh, we hope she come back like last year, and uh, she looks very good, last work was very good, so we hope the draw is not very good, but uh, now we start with this draw, so you will see. Now, that, that was my next question. Draw, definitely not ideal, it would seem. What What does that mean... For her, do you think specifically for her racing style, the fact that she's drawn wide? Yeah, for her, not too much because I will wait in for, uh, with her. So I will come back. Uh, maybe I hope they go. They're gonna make strong pace like this, so we can come back from behind, and the, the ground will be heavier things because uh, Saturday they say gonna rain. A lot, so we hope. Uh, so, you, I mean, it, it looks like it's going to be testing. She, you would want it very testing for her, would you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is, of course. Is that because, is that not just because she, she wants ground like that, but because you want it to be, given her, given where she's drawn, as much of a stamina test as possible? Yeah, of course, because I think if you start... Uh, and uh, you go behind the leader, you, you do too much. So uh, like this, uh, we can preserve a little bit stamina and uh, she has a good ton of food, so we will see. I think the, the theory was with her that w- with time on her side, she was going to get better and better. Have, have we seen that? Is she a, a better filly than, say, this time last year? Yeah, of course. She, she brings a mass, so uh, she's more beautiful than last year. Uh, I like too much this filly. Last year she finished fifth at three years old, so uh, she looked like Sotsas last year. All the year she was not uh, impressed, but uh, last race she went very easily. And and how how worried might you be about Tanawa, who of course you finished three lengths behind in the Vermeer last year? Do you 
Do you think that, that your filly can, can catch up to her? Yeah, well, I say she was three years old last year and for now she was four years old already. So if she improved, well, why not? Um, were, were you, or from your point of view, Christian, were you adamant that, that she went for, for this contest, for the ARC this year? Do you, do you or, or were, you, were you trying to make sure that the, the owners and Jean-Claude did run her in the ARC? Yeah, I think she made good choice. Like uh, when I say last year she finished fifth, and so this year we try again. Uh, for sure, the the trophy is not the best, but uh, we we run with a chance. So this year I think so there is a four good horses, but uh, five uh, she has a chance as well. And you know Deep Bond well off the, the back of the run last time where he beat um, Broom in the, in the pre-foire. Obviously, you won't be riding Deep Bond, but, but what can you tell us about his chances for those of us that perhaps don't know his form very well? Yeah, Deep Bond, uh, he was a, a good race last one in the pre-foire. Uh, I went in front, I make a... Uh, normal pace into the first uh, 1000 meter and then uh, gradually uh, make a strong pace because he has a lot of stamina and he's a strong horse so he'll beat one pace and uh, he win easily at the end so he's good horse but uh, now in the arc he's, he will be dif- different race uh, I don't know if he can go in front uh, there is uh, maybe more pace so we will see but he has a lot of stamina. What? And w- did you feel as though there was a, a lot left underneath you last time? Yeah, yeah. Things uh, uh, when Brun came outside to me, he start again. So uh, I think with the soft ground like this, uh, you run uh, in Japan uh, in every ground. Uh, if he finished second in the group one, so make no problem for him in the ground. What's the, the feeling like, Christian, winning an Arc de Triomphe? What was it like last year? Uh, it's the biggest race in the world, so to ride and last year win is amazing. It's the dream come true. Uh, uh, it's the best race. It's not many words to say. <laughs> um, well, other than, you know, for you, I guess, hopefully, hopefully two years in succession would be nice, right? So good luck. Yeah, of course. You <laughs> amazing too. Uh, and the 100 arc the triumph, so uh, we be better. <laughs> Christian, thanks for your time. Good luck this year. You're welcome. Thank you so much. Uh, Christian Demuro, who rode Sotsas to victory in the arc last year and is looking forward to Rabiha in this year's edition. And that gives me the opportunity to tell you that the arc promise has been renewed for 2021 in aid of Au-delà des Pistes, which is the official aftercare charity in France. And in partnership with France Gallo, the ARC Promise concept appeals to all the participants in the ARC to pledge a percentage of the prize money earned over this weekend as a donation towards the running of the charity. And France Gallo have already stepped up and committed the proceeds of the sale of the tickets, the ARC Tribune, over the weekend. And that money goes towards helping horses transition to second careers in a variety of disciplines, particularly those vulnerable due to injury and or who require a lengthy convalescence period. And that fundraising crucial to show that the racing industry is committed to equine welfare and aftercare. And if you'd like to know a little bit more about that, you can do so by logging on to au-delà-des-pistes.fr.
Now, one man who is looking forward to a first ever extraordinarily arc runner for his amazingly prolific family is Richard Hannon, whose Mojo Star will be coming out of Stall 1. And I caught up with him earlier today. Yeah, it's, it's a lovely race to be part of. Nice to have a horse good enough to go there. But no, we've never had a runner before and we're looking forward to it. What prompted the decision to, to go? Well, I think the horse obviously is owned by Ammo Racing and the man at the front of that is Keir Gorobchian. And this horse is named after his father, who was called Mohammed Gorobchian. So he's called Mojo Star. And so he has an amazingly sort of close relationship with the horse. He's been second in the derby and he's been an absolute pleasure to be associated with. And he wants to take his chance. And I love that. You know, he's, he was 150 to one for the derby. He shouldn't be that price for this race. I don't know what he is, but he's a much bigger price than the horse that beat him two lengths. He's something like five to two. How do you think he's trained since the ledger? Well, we've just left him be, Nick. You know, we let him just keep ticking over. He doesn't need any work. He's fit. We've freshened him up and and he's ready to go again. He's a, he's a horse that's very uncomplicated and very straightforward. And do you have to get out from stall one and just make a lot of use of him? Well, I think he is very, very versatile, this horse. And there's not a load of pace from what I can see in the race. I think we can ride him handy if he's in front and, and doing his thing and very happy. Then I leave that to Rossa. Um, you know, we have to do something slightly outside the box to turn around the form figures and the maths of the race, if it, as it were. But, you know, something, you know, something we would have to get an advantage somewhere. And if that is out in front doing it our way, then you know, obviously we'll be doing that. We have a quick word about Snow Lantern in the Kingdom of Bahrain Sun Chariot Stakes tomorrow. This kind of looks the right spot for her, would you agree? Yes, I think it's the perfect race. Um, I really do. I think it's cut up nicely. It's not an easy race, but it's basically the last race for Phillies only over this trip. And it's a lovely opportunity for her. How's she doing? She's very sick Nick, when she came back from Paris, you know, her, her tracheal wash was not right. She's been on the nebulizer and the antibiotics and that all those parameters have come back to where they should be now. So uh, the biochemistry says she's absolutely fine and in a much better nick than she was when she went to France where she didn't shine at all. So we're hopeful of a much better showing. Richard Hannan there with high hopes of Mojo Star and indeed Snow Lantern in tomorrow's Kingdom of Bahrain Sun Chariot Stakes. Now we're in the thick of yearling sales season. We're very pleased to be supported by our friends at Mill Ridge Farm in Kentucky who stand Oscar performance by Kitten's Joy out of the theatrical mare Divine Actress, a grade one winner at two, three and four, a Breeders' Cup Juvenile Turf champion and at four set the world record at one mile on the turf at Belmont Park in 131.23 and won all his races without race day medication. His yearlings were presented at the Keeneland September sale and I saw a lovely one by him at Goff's last week. Uh, now to the rest of today's news. Well, you might remember shortly after the recent government reshuffle, where several new cabinet ministers were appointed, several new junior ministers were appointed, we just touched on who might be taking responsibility for the gambling brief, which is now the racing brief as well, to all intents and purposes. And it was Chris Philp, MP, uh, Lydia, is this going to make a massive difference as we approach some fairly key decisions on gambling and the horse racing levy? 
Well, it could do, I think, is the answer. Uh, and I don't think that we or they know just yet. It could have an impact on timing and it might have an impact on where the review goes. But I suppose we will never know if that is the case because now it is under Chris Philp's um, charge. Uh, he is the MP for Croydon. He is the Parliamentary Undersecretary of State for Digital Culture, Media and Sport, DCMS. Uh, and in effect, he is racing's minister because horse racing sits sometimes uncomfortably under the gambling minister's brief. Uh, but it's also complicated because uh, Nigel Huddleston, who remains sports minister, obviously also has a relationship with horse racing. And over the top, we have the new Secretary of State, who is Nadine Doris, who oversees uh, both Philps and Huddleston's Department. So from the specific point of view of horse racing, um, Chris Philp last week took an extensive part in Matt Hancock's debate on horse racing last week, and he said that he'd accept uh, Hancock's invitation to meet those involved in the horse racing industry in Newmarket at an agreed later date, and actually Nigel Huddleston is doing exactly that uh, this week. Um, Looking at what Chris Philp had to say in that debate, he recognised what Matt Hancock was saying about the vital contribution of horse racing to the economy, both directly and via its support infrastructure throughout the UK, recognised that it's the second largest sports on many different terms, um, that it was worth more than four billion to the economy and had a, a very positive impact in rural areas, and that it employed 20,000, more than 20,000 people directly and uh, much more um, additional jobs under the wider and supported economy. And it he, he he recognised Matt Hancock's point that horse racing brought to Britain a lot of soft power. Um, he then moved on, Chris Philp, to talk about COVID and uh, mentioned the government support money that had gone to horse racing during that time. But he did also recognise horse racing's contribution to the government finances in the recovery of that and also their efforts to put forward charitable money um, towards uh, and to generate money in terms of the, the COVID recovery. And finally, most importantly, I think for horse racing. Um, he started talking about the levy. He pointed out that it was initially introduced to mitigate the risk of people not going racing when it became possible to bet off course in the 1960s when that reform was made. He did say that he would be um, prepared to listen to detailed representations if there was a case to, uh, to uh, review levy ref the, the levy situation sooner than the uh, date which is in stone of 2024. So he said he was he was open to representations in that area, but he made, made no promises that he would review the levy any earlier than the established timing. Well, that's interesting. That's certainly relevant to the message put out yesterday by Julie Harrington, the Chief Executive of the British Horse Racing Authority, speaking at an industry conference at Windsor Racecourse when she once again stressed the need for levy reform and put that conversation front and centre. What about the upcoming gambling review then? Who are the key political influencers here now? Well, Chris Phil, obviously, as we've discussed, but Nigel Huddleston and Nadine Doris are, are play a part. The Treasury, clearly, because the impact of the review on its finances and in Rishi Sunak, the country retains the Chancellor who is the MP for Middleham and for Catterick. Also in that department is the Financial Secretary Lucy Fraser who has the July course and major studs within her constituency and the Economic Secretary is John Glenn, he's Salisbury's MP. Then of course you have number 10, you know they will be exerting some influence of, over this although perhaps not involved with the fine detail. They'll be keen to see some action in the area of gambling reform and an interesting one that has been pu pushed forward to me is um, Ian Duncan-Smith who is a 
ardent um, Boris Johnson supporter who's linked to Carolyn Harris, who was very vocal on FOBTs previously, and is more to the left of the Conservative Party on this issue in terms of the amount of state intervention that he might argue might be necessary. So he's an interesting player. It's created some unlikely alliances, as we saw over FOBTs between the left and the right. I mean, The Guardian and The Daily Mail, for example, you know, being united uh, against FOBTs. And you, you wouldn't be surprised to see ministers um, across the Houses of Parliament from different sides of, uh, of, the, of the debate actually coming together on this particular issue and ditto influences. Um, and also, I suppose John Whittingdale was perceived as, inverted commas, betting's man. But, you know, did that actually bo box him in? Would he have felt obliged to prove he wasn't? And conversely, Chris Philp, who's raised concerns about gambling harms and was pro the £2 limit for FOBTs when a backbencher, will he have to prove that he's um, given the gambling lobby a fair hearing? So the gambling lobby, who were deemed to be very happy with John Whittingdale's appointment, are perceived to have had a setback, and the anti-gambling lobby, broadly speaking, given heart. But will it actually work out that way? Because obviously when Fab, um, Matt Hancock oversee, oversaw the £2 FOBT limit, uh, many believed his links to horse racing would have prevented that but that's not actually how it played out so what does racing now have to do it can't just sit back and watch it all unravel presumably no, I mean, its priority is clearly that betting on horse racing is not adversely affected by the gambling review and its lobbying to government so far as I understand it has been broadly but not wholly aligned with the betting industry. Um, um, as you'd expect, they're divergent, of course, on the areas of funding, of course. Um, I, as I understand it, they've illustrated how horse racing is at the softer end of gambling, especially if compared with online casino games. And it's action in this area, as well as calls for further restricted restrictions around gambling advertising that are perceived to basically be already baked into the review. I mean, that seems to be the, the, the unarguable in the direction of travel. However, it's not good enough for horse racing to say that nobody uh, betting on horse racing ever, ever develops a harmful relationship with gambling. I mean, that is simply not true. So horse racing itself needs to demonstrate greater social responsibility in this area, perhaps especially for those who might have been working in the industry previously or currently are and are clearly exposed to um, a sport which has close links on gambling. And, you know, the, the temptations to gamble are all around. And that kind of social response, to demonstrate that sort of social responsibility is going to require funding. That's likely to be controversial, given all sectors of the industry are desperate for money. But it would benefit how the industry is perceived in the medium to long term. So it is is vital. And also I would suggest that this conversation has fixturalist implications, given that the rapidity of replay and lack of reflection time has been concluded to be one of the major problems of FOBTs and also the overriding problem with online casino games. And mm. the more racing crams its fixture list, especially on a Saturday, with race after race after race, the closer it moves towards that kind of harm or the perception of that kind of harm and i think that is actually something to be weighed in the fictionist debate i see what you did there <laughs> <laughs> well it's true though isn't it yeah I, it's something i hadn't considered to be honest but it's very interesting i suppose if you just keep piling it and piling it and piling it then they'll say yeah you're just in inciting people to bet m with more frequency and with less care yeah if horse racing is your poison yeah, that argument could, could be raised. So, I mean, I, you know, I'm not suggesting that betting on horse racing is is like betting on FODTs or betting on online casino games, which is really very, very fast indeed. But we need to be, horse racing needs to be careful about, about its social responsibilities. And that needs to be a part of the conversation about a fictionalist. Well, we're just days away from 
Tattersall's Yearling Sale Book 1. And if you've been following our series, Behind the Scenes at Watership Down Stud, you will probably be as anxious as Lady Lloyd Webber and Simon Marsh and the whole team there as to how these horses are going to fare. And you've seen how much effort has gone into their preparation from a veterinary standpoint, from a farriery standpoint, from an animal husbandry standpoint. And uh, completing the, the jigsaw today, I'm really pleased to be joined by Polly Bonner, who's Director of Saracen Horse Feeds. And with her team is responsible for the nutrition of all the horses at Watership Down and Kiltynan. Coming up toward the the high pressure sale, Polly, how are how are you feeling? Excited, happy to get get them up there in one piece. It's a little bit the same as trainers, you know, producing horses to win a Group One. It's the same feeling at the moment. There's a huge amount of expectation and excitement about it, but you also want to make sure that everything goes smoothly, that the horses are comfortable. They're just getting into a new environment that they don't know. For some of them, it'll be the first time they've ever, ever even left the farm. So it's it's a lot to expect a young horse to handle, but they've been very well prepped to do it. It sounds very obvious when, when I say that a horse's well-being is inextricably linked to what you are to what you are feeding those horses. But just give people an idea of how hands-on you and your team are from from birth to now. One of the things that I suppose we really try and work hard on as a team together is to do our best to use the same systems at both farms, at both Watership Down and Kiltyne and Castle Stud, because we want to have that proper level of continuity overall. Now, obviously, we're going to have some differences in climatic conditions. But the farms both work really hard on providing the best pasture that they possibly can. So consequently, we balance their feed programs to make sure that every horse is given every advantage at each stage to reach its genetic potential. And I suppose what we're doing is we're applying the correct feeding products products at the correct time so that we're both supporting their growth rates and their digestive systems because we want to be sure that we get the right response from the horse. So it's a matter of working on a rising plane of nutrition with a positive energy balance when we're prepping them. We, we're at the point where we can design a program where we can almost target specific areas of their bodies in different ways because obviously what we're trying to achieve is that sleek, racy outline um, that's what's expected by the buyers. And so we'll utilise suitable combinations of feed materials to do that. And that's going to be carbohydrates, protein, fermentable fibres and oil. And in certain instances, we'll extend the use of each of those nutrients to add top line, body condition, muscle tone, appropriately to the horse's body. And we just found that by using multiple energy sources in a single meal... It's really helped us to streamline their feeding. Um, sales prep is at a, a time when it's in a young horse's life when they need the maximum amount of support in every respect. So we'll keep making necessary modifications to feed to feeding and fibre levels, for example, throughout the whole way so that they can cope with their new exercise regime, their new environment. They're future racehorses, so they need to be fit and not fat. We want them to be well-grown and they've got to be well-mannered. 
To what extent has the work of, of Kentucky Equine Research, with whom you, you, you formed a close alliance, uh, helped to um, advance preparing horses for sales? Oh, hugely. Not just in terms of the way that we formulate the feed that we give, but in the terms in terms of the way that we can monitor their progress. Um, we do this very closely. Um, Terry and I, once a month, will take monthly measurements of their body weight and height at, at Watership. We've been using growth monitoring software that Kentucky Equine Research produced. We've been using that at Watership and Kiltynan since 2007. So this software is called GrowTrack. It was basically developed by KER and then it's been able to sort of organically improve and get better by the more people that have used it who have then said it would be really helpful if we could put photographs in there, um, if we could have different ways of recording everything that's happened to the foal in its life so far. And all of those extra things go into basically comparing them with their growth records against literally thousands of others of the same age and sex. The program isn't meant to ever replace your eye, but it can help quantify what you're looking at. And it gives us really reliable comparisons between age groups and genders. It makes it much easier to aim for more consistent growth rates. Because obviously in this instance, we're not just thinking about their birth date and what they'll handle, but their intended sale date when everyone's first considering which foals will go where because it starts that early. We can archive all of these growth records for future reference. And we were actually only just doing it yesterday, Simon and I. We often will look back at certain families because Simon, Terry and Donna obviously know them inside out. But GrowTrack can help us to frank the form, as it were, because where we've been following these families for so long, it can be really interesting with a permanent broodmare band because different patterns and trends will often emerge. And it helps us be a bit more objective, if you like, when we use the growth records as a management tool. Polly Bonner there from Saracen Horse Feeds, responsible for the, the feeding at Watership Down and Kiltyne and Studs. No stone is being left unturned as these yearlings head to the sales. And on Thursday evening, when the last of the Watership Down draft has gone through book one, Charlotte will be on site to talk to Simon Marsh about how it's all gone. Our thanks to the whole team at Watership Down. Okay, it is Friday, which can only mean one thing. It is where we find out who are the top 10 horses in the world with our friends at Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. Here are the global rankings, and I'm going to allow myself the liberty of starting at 11 this week because she's just outside the top 10. The Japanese supermare, Chronogenesis, Will she bring it home for Japan this weekend under Asheen Murphy? She's down two at 11. I'll tell you the reasons in a moment. Part of that is up one at 10 after a brilliant performance in the gallant bobstakes at Parks as the American sprinter Jackie's Warrior. Up 19 at nine. Another hero from Pennsylvania, this time in the PA Derby, Hot Rod Charlie, up 19 at nine. Up eight at 
eight, now the Australian star, the exer Michael Stout trained, now Annabelle Nisham handled Zaki after another ease down triumph in the grade one Underwood stakes at Sandown. Seven up one is Adar bound, of course, for the arc this weekend. Likewise, Tanawa up one at six, and up one at five is Hurricane Lane, and up one at four is Essential Quality. And why are they all up one? That is because Golden 60, the Hong Kong star, is absent or has been absent for sufficiently long that he momentarily has slipped out of the rankings, but he will be reappearing very shortly. Up one at three is Mishrif. We'll see him in the champion stakes, or will we, if it continues to bucket down? over the next two weeks. We will, I think, see Palace Pier come what may. He's steady at two and steady at one is this week's retiree, unsurprising retiree, St. Mark's Basilica. But, James Willoughby, for how long? Because this Arc de Triomphe is surely going to have a major say in the shape of these rankings. Indeed, Nick, yes, because the Arc de Triomphe of 2021 is, according to TRC figures, the most competitive race at the top level that we've had for at least 10 years. And wow. the reason for that statistically is that four horses uh, are in the world's top 11, seven are contenders in the world's top 30, and nine are in the world's top 50. And that's unparalleled in terms of the depth and quality uh, of a horse race. That is remarkable. Uh, as things stand, James... Hurricane Lane, according to the TRC rankings, is the likeliest winner over Tarnawa, Adar, and Chronogenesis. I must confess to scratching my head slightly over that. You and I have had this conversation about the relative positions of Hurricane Lane and Adar, particularly given their only meeting so far. Yeah, I would agree with you as well. From uh, a human perspective, it seems to me that Tarnawa or Adaya has stronger credentials in terms of where they deserve to be ranked. Uh, this all goes to show that this is an automated system. Um, having delved into the numbers, I can explain it. Uh, and the reason for it is that Hurricane Lane has had five group race wins, runs, sorry, and four wins, which is really rare. And his third worst performance which is, counts as the St. Ledger in terms of figures, is worth a figure of 123. And that, at this stage, is unparalleled. There hasn't been a horse that has achieved so much so fast in terms of the, the depth and reach of its rankings. Now, does that mean that he necessarily deserves to be rated above Tarnawai or Adaya? No, necessarily. If the, if, the, if the coefficients were slightly different, regarding how the TRC computer sees racing in various different countries, then you could make a case for Tarnawa and Adaya. And it's ranking point, tiny numbers of, of ranking points separate these three horses. So it's not one of those cases where uh, the figures are asserting one thing over another. Uh, but that's the, re that's the way it stands. And maybe the, the takeout from this is that the TRC computer has a very strong regard for Hurricane Lane. Really, the best way to summarize our rankings is that there are four horses that we consider already belong to the world's global elite of thoroughbreds. Hurricane Lane, Tarnawa, Adayar, and Chronogenesis. And really, the order that you want to put them in depends on things like whether you think they'll get a good trip in the arc, how fresh you think these horses are at this stage of the season, how well the distance will suit them in the case of Tarnawa, who's just run extremely well over what is probably 
an inadequate trip. And in the case of ADAR, whether Charlie Appleby has had one or two training problems with the horse or whether the ground will suit him. So those are the subjective factors. But in terms of the rankings, it's those four horses that stand out. And I must stress, having them all in one race is virtually unique. How long is St. Mark's Basilica going to stay at number one? Not very long. Um, he is at a level which is generally surpassed in the autumn as these big championship races are laid down. It's a shame he was retired. I kind of understand the reasons if he came out of the last race. Saw is at the Irish Champions League store and connections don't want to kind of build him up and run again. And the mile and quarter races are not sort of that convenient for him apart from the champion stakes over here, which can be running six foot of mud. And so um, I can see why they've pulled the plug on him, but we won't get to see him run against some of the other top horses at the, uh, at the, at the uh, elite end of the rankings. And that's a shame. Talk about the horses who are new entries to the top 10 this week. Hot Rod Charlie, who's been doing really well all season, but really broke through in the Pennsylvania Derby, and Jackie's Warrior, who, surprisingly to me, has only gone up one for that performance in the Gallon Bob at Parks. Yeah, it's just because of how good it is above him, really. He, he's gaining points. He's gaining standings. He's one of the top dirt sprinters that we can uh, remember. Um, he, seven group race wins, grade stakes wins now. Three grade ones, four grade twos from 10 tries. And he comes out of that, of that remarkable Breeders' Cup juvenile last year, Nick, doesn't he? Uh, fourth in the non-staying effort, probably, there in terms of the way the race was run, because they went so hard. Uh, up front for him and he's dropped back to sprint distances since but in that race of course uh, essential quality now world number four beat hot rod charlie who as you say is now into the world's top 10 he's also was second to essential quality in the belmont of course and i've been saying this all season uh, and now the buyer speed figures in america are beginning to reflect as much which is this is an elite collection of american three-year-olds and is this a trend is this a one-off? We saw that the American dirt racing had reached a nadir a few years ago. It's built up a bit since. But are we beginning to return to those tremendous crops that we used to have of three olds? Well, I'd say this one is pretty good. And life is good could be the best of the lot. Indeed. Yeah. And he fits in, of course, very snugly with Jackie's Warrior, an impressive winner. The two of them, very, very uh, fast time at Saratoga when they ran uh, one and two. And it's all to look forward to for the rest of the season. But James, let's finish where we began with the Arc de Triomphe and uh, a neat little move in the, in the trainers table, the TRC Global Trainers Rankings. Yeah, eight of Charlie Appleby's last 13 runners have won group races, which is outstanding. And he has returned as a result to world number one, a position he occupied uh, for a lengthy period of the season. I think it was two uh, years ago. And again, there are three trainers well clear here, Charlie Appleby, Chad Brown, John and, and Thady Gosden, Aidan O'Brien close behind them in fourth, and then Chris Waller, Brad Cox, Bob Baffert. It's massively competitive at the top because now these international trainers, they have such huge strings and they can uh, really compete on many fronts. Charlie Appleby, however, 25% strike rate in group races. That is outstanding. 30 uh, group and grade one wins in the last three years, 35 group two or grade two and 26 group two or grade three. And that's in the last three years working back uh, from today. It's brilliant stuff from him. He's super efficient. He's completely transformed Godolphin's fortunes and he's a very worthy world number one. 
Well, thanks to James, to all my guests today. And we will close out with a, a final word, perhaps, Lydia, about the arc. You gave Alan Kerr a, a big shout at a price at the, at the beginning of the show. You, in your mind's eye, if you shut your eyes and imagine them plowing through what we assume is going to be the mud inside the final furlong on, on Sunday, what are you seeing? I'm seeing Ad Adiar being uh, right bang there. I'm seeing Tarnawa being bang there. And I'm hoping that Alan Kerr will be bang there as well. At the prices, I'd be siding with Alan Kerr. Um, between Adiar and Tarnawa, I'd probably be, be just about with Adiar. But I think it's going to be... Um, but those are the two key players against Alan Kerr in my mind. How about you? I've been Adiar really quite firmly um, up to this point. I'm not sure he wants it completely bottomless but I can't be sure of anything if the if the ground gets really extreme I, I do think he is the best horse in the race and I thought his King George performance was exceptional I'm just hoping that the interruptions he's had to his, his training haven't meaningfully set him back but the noises seem good and I am with the derby winner that's the thing isn't it that is something to conjure with Adiar whereas Tanawa has seems to have been beautifully targeted towards this one mm. target all season yeah and that's very much in her exactly and I, I do have a huge respect for for hurricane lane as well i certainly don't think he can't win just because mm. he won uh, a st ledger and there's been plenty written about it and, and in in some depth supporting that view as well do you have other fancies for the weekend or indeed today as many or as few as you like i'm looking at saturday um to a real Really interesting mile and a half um, handicap at Newmarket. The 4.05 on Saturday, it's between fillies. It's putatively for three-year-olds and upwards, but it happens to be all three-year-olds and most of them are really progressive. And the filly I'm most interested in is Nell Quickly. I was really impressed uh, with the way that she was able to win at Salisbury last time. I think sort of managing to come through almost against the run of the, of the race and reel in Maytal. I don't think she was all out to get on top. Um, she is facing tougher, stiffer opposition here, but she's unexposed at the trip and she's improving fast. So I like her a lot. Nell Quickly in the 405 at Newmarket on Saturday. Lydia, thank you. But to continue a very good run and a very good run of the tipsters on this show as well, completed by Cornelius Lice. It's eight to one winner yesterday. Thanks so much for listening. Uh, enjoy Arc Weekend. We will be back with you on Monday. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary.